You are listening to the sermon podcast of Redemption Chapel in Stowe, Ohio. For more resources and information, go to redemptionchapel.com. Well, I didn't have a nice little bumper video on the way up, and you can see the screen that we are getting back into Second Corinthians, this book that on and off we've been working our way through it throughout the whole year. We should wrap it up before 2024. So we're jumping back into it. Remember, it is strength through weakness is the theme stretching throughout the book to kind of rewarm it for you a little bit. uh, Remember, we did chapters eight and nine were all about giving. That was three weeks you loved so much, right? And then we did chapter 10 and uh, wrap that up. And actually, at the end of chapter 10 into chapter 11, which is where we start today, is kind of a good transition point. And so I'm just going to jump right in and show you that. Here is verse 1 of chapter 11. He says, I wish you would bear with me in a little foolishness. Do bear with me. Well, that's a little bit weird, right? What was, what was that? What foolishness? Well, that's a great question because what that does is allow me to pop it back into the microwave and kind of reheat it for you a little bit so that we're all up to speed. Remember, Paul planted the church in Corinth. He is their spiritual father. Then he, after quite some time of establishing that church, then he moved on to plant other churches on his mission trip. And when he left, on his heels came in some other teachers with a desire to hijack the church, really uh, to benefit themselves. Paul will refer to them as super apostles. Now, in the Greek language, there are, there's no punctuation, including no, no quotes, right? But if there were, Paul would say the super apostles. There's some serious air quotes. How many of you are encouraged to know there's actually sarcasm in the Bible? Just me? Right? Like, there is some sarcasm in there, okay? And so he's saying these super apostles, that's how he'll refer to them. Because they are coming in, again, they are hurting the church for their own gain. To make that happen, what they have to do is drive a wedge in between the church and the apostle Paul. So to do that, they'll be throwing shade at him. They'll set up this comparison, this competition kind of thing. Now, in response, what Paul has to do is he has to defend his apostleship. Why? I mean, he doesn't want to do it. He doesn't like doing it. Why does he do it? Because remember, Paul's authority as an apostle leads to the gospel. And if they doubt his authority as as an apostle, the gospel fades into the background. And so he has to defend his apostleship to protect the gospel, to protect the church. And that's why he does it. But he doesn't like it. He says it is foolish. Okay, He's going to fight fire with fire, but he knows it's foolish. And so during chapters 11 and 12, two chapters, the word foolish or some variant of it appears seven times. Saying this is stupid that I have to do this. It's just stupid. So that's the foolishness. Now, uh, what we're going to see right away in chapter 11, what he's really going to start addressing out of the gate here is fake stuff. He's going to be talking about fake stuff. To get at that, let me show you this beautiful thing right here. This is the brick of shame. Uh, this is something I injected into our leadership culture. I Admittedly, it was one of my worst ideas. 
what I was thinking at the time is that, look, as staff members, we make mistakes. We all do, myself included, all the time. And so I thought maybe we could make light of it and say, hey, it's okay, here's the brick of shame. Okay, I know it's a bad idea now. Okay, I get that now, okay? That's what I was thinking at the time. Here's how I knew it was a bad idea. So there are these scammers that try to scam our church all the time. They set up email accounts like Pastor Rick 1234 at Gmail or whatever. And from that email account that has Pastor Rick in it, they, they do research. They go on our website, they research it, and they find out a staff member's name and they, and they send an email. And they say, hey, this is Pastor Rick. I'm in prayer meetings all morning. Stop. <laughs> I'm in prayer meetings all morning, but there's a family in need. We need to get them some gift cards. I need you to run to Target and get uh, about $200 worth of gift cards. Now, I don't have time to connect with you. Just take pictures of them and email them back to me. Stop. Now, we're aware of these. I mean, it happens weekly now. We're aware of this now as a team. But in the beginning, it was new, and they do their work. They're really, really good fakes. And so they did trick one of our staff members. And just so you know, the bank said, don't worry, we got it. It didn't cost the church a dime. No big deal. But I knew the brick of shame was a bad idea. When I was on the phone with this staff member, and the staff member said, crying, please don't give me the brick of shame. <laughs> and I said to myself, self... This is a bad idea. (laughs) This is a bad idea. So now we don't have a brick of shame. We have a brick of shine. And we give that when somebody's doing well. And the brick of shame sits in my office perpetually because I thought it was a good idea to have a brick of shame. I now own the brick of shame, right? Like, that's on me. But what you'll notice from that, though, is there are these scammers. And what they try to do, they try to pose as a fake Rick in order to hurt the church for their own gain. That's fake stuff. And so Paul is going to say that's similar to what's going on in Corinth. There are these super apostles, and they are being fake. In fact, here's the fake stuff we're going to look at. Three things. Fake lover, fake teaching, fake teachers. He's saying this is what's going on in Corinth. And to see that, let's, we've looked at verse one already. Here's verses two and three. For I feel a divine jealousy for you, since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. What Paul does there is he sets up an analogy of a father betrothing his daughter to a worthy groom. Now remember back in their day, they had arranged marriages. So the dad would decide the future groom and betroth his daughter. Now we don't really understand betrothal today like they did back then. Betrothal was like you are almost like 99.9% married. Like, you're, like it's serious. It's, it's not engagement. It's like engagement on steroids. Like it's like really, it's, it's you are married, but you haven't had sex yet and you don't yet live together. You'll actually, let, okay, how about this? The Christmas story. You remember the Christmas story? Mary is betrothed 
to Joseph. She's found to be with child. So Joseph assumes she's had sex with somebody else, right? So what's he decide to do? Do you remember? He decides to divorce her privately. Were they married yet? How do you divorce somebody you're not married to? You're like, wait a minute. I never, okay, that's it. The point is they viewed betrothal as like almost married. Like it's so serious that if you break it, it's like divorce. You see that? It's very, very significant. So what's going on here is the dad betroths a daughter to a worthy groom. Okay. And then before the wedding day, the groom discovers that the bride has cheated on him, had sex with another dude. She's stepping out. And and now the, the, the word gets back to the father and the father is like, what happened? I betrothed you. I, what happened? Paul is saying that is what's going on in Corinth. He is their spiritual father. He betrothed them to Jesus Christ. That's that conversion. When you enter into relationship with Jesus Christ. When you do, you become part of the church. You know what another name of the church is? It's the bride of Christ. It's in the Bible. We're the bride of Christ. It also tells us that when Jesus comes back at his second coming, our hope that we're looking forward to, there will be the wedding supper of the Lamb. The wedding's coming. So right now, we are the betrothed bride of Christ looking forward to the wedding day. In the meantime, Paul says, hey, you Corinthians, you're cheating on Jesus. You're stepping out on him. And word gets back to Paul and he's like, what happened? I'm your dad. I betrothed you. Actually, he tells us what happened if you look in the verses. They were seduced by a fake lover. And what Paul does is he gives the example of Eve in the Garden of Eden from Genesis chapter 3, where Satan, that snake, slithered into the garden. Now, prior to that time, Eve was in a perfect relationship with the perfect lover of her soul, God himself. And then Satan slithers in. Satan is the ultimate fake lover. He doesn't love Eve. He doesn't care about Eve. He doesn't want Eve's best. All he wants to do is take her away from God to destroy her relationship with God. But note this. The problem is not that Satan slithered into the garden. The problem is that Eve listened to him. Instead of ignoring him, engaged with the one that was trying to take her away from her true lover, the lover of her soul. That was the problem. And so what happened then is that she, uh, on the advice of the fake lover, Satan, she started to doubt the goodness of God, his loving intentions toward her. She doubted his word. And then she stepped out on God with a fake lover. And it didn't go well for Eve, nor for us, ever since. Now, Paul's saying that's exactly what has happened in Corinth. You are being led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. You're being led astray by a fake lover. Now, just think about this for a moment. If, if we always, 100% of the time, we keep in mind, Satan is a fake lover, he's a liar, he's bent on our destruction. And by contrast, God is the true lover of our soul. If you think about it, he gave us life, and that wasn't enough, we screwed it up, so he died for us. He, he loves us, he gives us grace and mercy and forgiveness and truth. 
He's our Lord. We love him. We want to be with him. We want to be like him. And then by contrast, here's Satan, the the liar, the destroyer, who wants to just mess us up. If we kept that 100% in view, we would never sin. But we forget that. And we start to talk with this one, with the fake lover. And that's what Eve did. And that's what we do all the time. Remember, Satan is a fake lover. But one of the interesting things, Paul is subtle, but, but did you catch that one of the things he just did in those verses is he basically equated the super apostles with Satan. In the analogy, that's who they are. Like, that was kind of a cool move there. Good, good chess move, Paul. That's what he did, right? But in the same way that the, that Eve should not have listened to Satan, he's saying, Corinth, you shouldn't be listening to those super apostles. They are fake lovers. And the problem with those fake lovers is what they say. And in this case, it's not only fake lover, but the second thing, remember, is fake teaching. Fake teaching. And that's very clear in the next verse. Look at verse 4. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted... You put up with it readily enough. Ouch. See, it's not that they said this, but you put up with it readily enough. And so what he's saying is there's this fake teaching going on. A a different Jesus, a different spirit, a different gospel. Now, no, he's not specific. He doesn't give us details about what that fake teaching is. So it is impossible for us to know for certain. But I'll tell you at least this much. One of the ways fake teaching works is that it has to be both similar and different. Okay, A counterfeit has to be similar and different. Let, let me show it to you this way. Okay, we got some, some money up here. Which one would you like? Okay, This one says a thousand. This one's a thousand. This one's 20. Which one do you want? You, you want the 20? Why would you want the 20? This one's a thousand. And you go, here's, look, you see what's going on? This is not similar enough. It is so different. It is obvious. It's ridiculous. You would never fall for it. The problem is you already did fall for it because this is fake too. Right? So this is, this was in the possession of one of my staff members who has a whole bag of this stuff. And I'm thinking about turning them in. Like this is, this is illegal, man. But anyway. This, you, you, can't, you can't tell the difference between these, okay? Except that right here it says motion, picture, copy, money, okay? Like other than that, like they look the same. And this is how a fake works. It is so similar. Now there's a significant difference which makes this worth 20 and this worth nothing. But the way I pull off a counterfeit is it has to look really similar. And that is the way fake teaching works. Notice this is my 20. I'm putting it back in my pocket. I don't trust you. Okay, so there it is. But that's the way a counterfeit works. That's the way false teaching works. Listen, false teaching is not 100% false. It's mostly true. It's very similar with some significant 
difference hidden in there. That's how fake teaching works. So if I come to you and I say, hey, by the way, want to let you know today, Satan is God. You'd never buy it. It's too different. It's, that's this right here. And you're like, no, that's not true. So, so that's not how fake teaching works. It has to be really similar with some significant difference hidden in there. See, Satan will never come to you dressed in red with horns and a pitchfork and a tail. He will come to you, the Bible says, disguised as an angel of light. He will be a fake Jesus, not an obvious devil. That's how fake teaching works. And so they are getting a fake Jesus. Now, we don't know, again, the specifics of the fake teaching they're wrestling with. We do know what it is today. And I want to share some things with you, a list. I had some staff help me put together about fake teaching. Okay? Patriotic Christianity, top of the list. And that's where we say we are God's chosen country. And we take the promises of the Old Testament to Israel and we apply them to us today. And America is the hope of the world. I thought that was Jesus, but whatever, you know, like, so patriotic Christianity. And then there's political party Christianity flows out of that one. And so some of you have a conservative Jesus. Some of you have a liberal Jesus and you're both wrong because the true Jesus will correct both of you because his kingdom's not of this world. Political party Jesus. There's pluralistic Christianity. And plural, that means that all paths lead to God and Christianity is just one of the way. Nobody goes to hell. I don't want to offend anyone. It's very popular today. Then there's comfortable Christianity. Comfortable Christianity has a lot of variance to it. It's me-centered Christianity. Not God-centered. Me-centered. American dream Christianity. You've heard me talk about family-oriented Christianity. I know you love it every time I talk about that. And then there's hedonistic Christianity. Hedonistic Christianity is where I presume that God just wants me to be happy so I can really ignore a lot of the things he says in the Bible and do what I want because God just wants me to be happy. Comfortable Christianity right, right there. What it is not, it is not missional Christianity. And so with comfortable Christianity, I get really surprised when life gets hard or when God asks me to do something hard. My grid of Christianity doesn't account for that. But it's a fake. It's a fake. And then there's cafeteria-style Christianity. Okay, what I mean by that is a cafeteria is where you go through the line and you pick and choose, right? Oh, give me some of that. None of that, please. None of that. But give me some. And I put together my own tray of what I call Christianity by picking and choosing. The way I do that is I do not allow the word of God to correct me, but I correct the word of God. Cafeteria style Christianity. And what it becomes is cultural syncretism. So what I do is I take whatever the culture teaches specifically in the areas of gender, sexuality, marriage, and divorce. Whatever the culture teaches, I assume is gospel truth, that comes in, and then I'll try to sneak Christianity in the gaps. And that's it's cafeteria-style Christianity. Then there's religious Christianity. In religious Christianity, you just have to go to church. Twice a year is more than enough. Right? Just go to church and then you get to do whatever you want. And as part of the religion, then you presume God is supposed to do for you what you want, give you what you want. And when he doesn't, you are ticked at him. 
That's religious Christianity. There's easy believism Christianity. Uh, what this one posits is the, the idea that I prayed a salvation prayer at some point back in the day, and now I can do what I want because I have my get out of hell free card. I don't have to live and act as a disciple and grow. That's not part of it. And of course, the flip side of that one is legalistic Christianity. And that's where we make a lot of rules that God has not made, but we assume that they are God's rules. We speak like they're God's rules. We force them on people. We get judgy and mean and ungracious. And me and my tribe that are in the legalistic Christianity together, we know we're the good people and we look down on everyone else. I don't know what was going on back in Corinth, but I know what's going on in America today. And it's right there. They are similar, but significantly different. They are fakes. And you remember what Paul said at the end of verse 4? He said, you put up with it easily enough. And we do. All the time. Martin Luther would say this. Oh, this is so good. He said, if I profess with the loudest voice and clearest exposition every portion of the truth of God except precisely that little point which the world and the devil are at that moment attacking, I am not confessing Christ, however boldly I may be professing Christ. Where the battle rages, there the loyalty of the soldier is proved. And to be steady on all the battlefields beside is mere flight and disgrace if he flinches at that point. And that's, that's a mic drop. If I were holding a mic, I would drop it right now. It's strapped to my head and I'm not going to like face plant. Okay. But, but that, that is like, that is a mic drop, like fake teaching, fake teaching. Now, the, the way you get fake teaching, by the way, is you have to have Fake teachers. And that is the third and last thing of the fake. We're talking fake teachers next. And you see that in the next two verses, five and six. He says, indeed, I consider that I am not in the least inferior to these super apostles. Even if I am unskilled in speaking, I am not so in knowledge. Indeed, in every way we have made this plain to you in all things. Okay, so you see the comparison between Paul and the super apostles starting to heat up. And in that comparison, one of the things he admits is he says, hey, I am unskilled in speaking. That word unskilled in the Greek is idiotes. Does that sound familiar? Yeah, that's where we get idiot. Paul's like, yeah, I sound like an idiot. Sorry. Right, but I say good things. Right? So he, he says he sounds like an idiot. Now, compared to the super apostles. So here's what's going on. Back in their day, uh, there would be these trained orators that would come into town. See, there's no TV, there's no internet, there's no movies. What do you do for entertainment? Well, there would be traveling entertainers like the circus coming to town. But in this case, they are trained rhetoricians. Their skill is to amaze a crowd with their speaking. They would do it improvisationally. So without a rehearsed speech, what they would do is say, you guys know the the show, Whose Line Is It Anyway? That's improv, okay? So they would say, hey, give me a topic. Okay, cool. Uh, Am I pro or con? Con, okay. Uh, Here I go. And boom. And people's jaws, they were so good. Making it up just off the cuff. Just astounding 
trained in rhetoric. Notice, though, they're not committed to their topic. What they want is glory and fame and applause. And they also are making bank off this. They're doing it for money. But because they're not committed to a topic, this might be why Paul is not specific about the false teaching back then. Because they're all over the map. They're improv You see that? Now, Paul, in comparison to them, was very different. Uh, he did not take money. <laughs> we'll see that next week. That's next week's passage. But, uh, but they're going to go, well, maybe it's just not worth very much then. You know, so he didn't take money. He was not an impressive orator. He tells us in chapter 10, verse 10, that he's better at writing than he is at speaking. I sound like an idiot. Like, it's, he's, he admits it. And then he would tell them hard things, things they needed to hear but didn't want to hear. He served up vegetables and protein, not dessert. And then Paul tends to be a broken record where these guys improved on all kinds of topics and it was so entertaining. Paul's like, all he talks about is Jesus and him crucified. Over and over and over. In fact, he admits that. Look, look at, we'll go back in the last letter, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. He says, and I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. That was the sermon topic. Every time, over and over. Then he says this, And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Because here's the thing, if I can talk you into something, somebody more winsome than me, then that person can talk you out. What you need is a spiritual transaction, not to be awed by an orator. Because these super apostles, they were seeking fame and glory and influence and money. And here's the apostle Paul. All he wants is the bride's pure devotion to Jesus Christ. That's all he wants. So let me ask you this. Which one of these containers would you prefer? What I have here is a rusty Old can, I think it was a coffee can at one point. It's kind of nasty. And then here is one of my wife's many, many teapots. There's a lot, trust me. Right? So, which one, if I, if you could take one home today, I'd love to give you a teapot. I'll probably get in trouble, okay? But, but when you choose a teapot, this thing's nasty, right? I mean, in light of the sermon, you're going, I guess I'll take the tin can. Okay, shut up. No, you wouldn't. Okay, so, but what if I told you this? What if I put in here a thousand dollars cash? Again, I didn't because I don't trust you people. But uh, if you imagine, if there were a thousand dollars cash in here, and then in here, you guys know we have a big dog, right? So let's say I went out backyard yesterday and collected a few things for you. All right, and I put a bunch of dog crap in here. I didn't because I don't want to smell it the whole time. If Pastor Jared were preaching, I'd do it. But there it is. I don't want to smell it. But imagine. So what you have is two different containers with two different contents. Do you want a tin can full of a $1,000 or do you want a nice teapot full of dog crap? 
oh, if I did that to Shannon's teapot, I'd be in such trouble. (laughs) It cleans out, honey. It's fine. Now you say, well, I take the tin can. But here's the thing. We regularly, I mean, we choose poorly. We do. What we need to do is we need to choose content over container. We need to choose worthy over winsome. We need to choose education over entertainment. We need to choose substance over style. But we don't. And starting in ancient Corinth and for about 2,000 years running, people have figured out that Christians are wired in such a way that as long as you have a shiny container, you can fill it with dog crap and they'll buy it. And it's been going on for a long time. And people have been making a lot of money off of it. And it still happens today. Here's what I'm saying. What if the problem is not the fake teachers, but the fake learners? Remember, the problem wasn't that the snake slithered into the garden. It was that Eve listened to him. Right? So, so far, you guys have been like, Amen, Pastor. This is a great sermon. Okay, I'm coming for you. Right now, okay? In Stowe, we like to complain that there are too many car washes and Mexican restaurants, right? And we are so, how can they open another? What are they doing? We, we write to the mayor, mayor, can you make it stop? Let me clue you in on something, people. They're not doing it to lose money. They're doing it because you gobble it up. They're doing it because you pay for it. They're doing it because you're their consumers and you love more car washes and you love more Mexican restaurants and that's why it's there. What if the problem is not the people opening the businesses? What if the problem is y'all buying it? That's what I'm saying. It's so easy to throw shade at fake teachers. The reason fake teachers exist is because the fake learners gobble it up. It's us. Notice Paul didn't write to the fake teachers. He wrote to the congregation and said, you put up with it easily enough. Why are you doing it? What if the fake teachers are just giving us what we want? Listen, I learned decades ago that most people in sermons, most people do not want convicted and corrected. They want confirmed. And entertained. Say no way. No way pastor. And yet I'll tell you this. You show me a pastor. Who is really slick up front. But. Poor character. And like slightly off teaching. Or sometimes really off teaching. Big church. Guaranteed. You show me this guy. He's clunky up front, but inside is gold. Great character, orthodox teaching, small, little, tiny church. Which do we prefer? Oh, you say you'll choose on content, but it seems like we choose on container all the time. Now, granted, caveat, there is no glory in boring preaching. Okay, I think it's a crime to take the word of God and make it boring. Shouldn't happen. Ideally, we have both container and content. I get that. But entertainment is not the goal. 
The goal is truthful, challenging, correct me, God, please correct me kind of teaching. Not having your ears tickled. And I use the phrase ear tickled because that comes from 2 Timothy chapter 4. Where the apostle Paul is coaching young pastor Timothy as he pastors the church in Ephesus. And here's what he says. Preach the word. Oh, then he goes on. He says, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort. Okay, stop for a second. (laughs) What if I told you, hey, y'all come back next week in the sermon. What we're going to do is we're going to reprove, rebuke, and exhort. Like, I don't think I like this. That's what he tells them to do. He tells them, he says, do it with complete patience and teaching. That sounds like education, not entertainment. Why do it? He says, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. What are myths? The word means stories, illustrations, funny jokes. I just really enjoyed that. The big problem we have, people, is our pride. Let me be straight with you. It's an issue of pride. If you zoom out for a moment and get the big picture, here's the big picture. We are messed up. We are fallen. We are twisted. We are rebels. Our passions are messed up. Our thoughts are messed up. Our ideas are messed up. Our lives are messed up. That's us. And then we have God. God is all holy, all loving, all wise, all knowing. He's amazing. And sometimes what God does is he gives us vegetables, not dessert. But it's his word. And I'll tell you what, given who we are and given who God is, we ought to love his correction. Please, God, please correct me. But pride says no. I'm already good. I'm already wise. My ideas do not need corrected. They need confirmed. And so what we do as fake learners is we start to shop for fake teachers. Friends, pastors, advisors, counselors, churches, whatever. We start to shop. And I'm looking for one who tells me what I want to hear. One who suits my own passions, not corrects them. One who affirms what I already think before I walked in. And that in my messy, rebellious state, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to repent. Does that sound like reproving and rebuking? Yeah. I want you to repent and be humble and be teachable. Desire, I want you to desire for God to tell you things that you will not like. And that is a good, good process because you need him to be God in your life. Love and welcome his correction. Don't correct his correction. And then the second thing I want you to do is I want you to thirst and hunger for truth. For like really good, solid teaching that you would value the content over the container. Basically, I want you to do your sermon work. Some of you are like, do I get to preach? No. Okay, no. But I want you to know this. I pray for your sermon work every week. 
Because I don't, I'm not just the only one doing sermon work. I've done mine. Yours starts today. And I could preach my worst sermon ever. And if you are hungry and humble and you lean into the word of God with teachable hearts, you could grow so much today. And if I preach my best sermon ever and your hearts are hard, it's worthless. The sermon work has more to do with you than it does to do with me. And so the question is, what happens on the ride home? You get in the car and on the ride home, you start to critique the sermon and usually on entertainment value. Oh, that was fire. Fire emoji. Fire. Was it funny? Was it entertaining? Was it engaging? What if the ride home were the start of your sermon work? Then you start to say, how is this going to change my life this afternoon, tomorrow morning, for the rest of my life? Oh, please do your sermon work. And for that, let me pray. Father in heaven, I come to you right now, grateful for your grace that you would allow me and my fellow pastors to even open our mouths in this place. I pray your protection upon us and upon our flock that we would always be worthy of you. But I pray for myself and my brothers and sisters here that we would respond well to your word. We would want correction. We would want solid, good teaching. No, I don't want it to be boring, Lord, but if I had to choose, oh, Lord God, let it be stupid boring and so true, so solid. Give us good teaching. Give us good learners, Lord, that we would respond with humility and teachability and grow. And I pray for that in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Redemption Chapel. Go to redemptionchapel.com for more resources and information.